And we've been studying as a church over the last couple of weeks on many facets of this whole thing called hope and imagination. I've had people ask me, when are the sermons coming up? When are the sermons coming up? Well, well they're going to come up. Our media team's working behind the scenes. It's going to be all available on YouTube in a playlist just for you. But we've been, we've been studying. In fact, we started with just talking about what is hope and how Bible, the Bible defines hope as positive imagination. And then from there, we spoke about how uh, hope has a song. And then we spoke about how hope has a frame and how we've got to frame the right thing to allow hope to arise. And then we spoke about, I think from there we spoke about how, uh, you know, th there's this thing called our spiritual womb, which is hope in itself. And then over the last couple of weeks, we sort of turned the corner. We stopped talking about the how, we started talking about the why. And that's when we spoke about guarding our imagination, that our imagination matters to God. And then sort of last week, we I, I sort of, studying on this whole thought that God has made himself vulnerable to our imagination and I preached on how heaven is banking on our imagination. And so I just, I, just, I just pray that this really gets into your heart, gets into your spirit, because I believe today we're going to try and land the plane. Now, I know I, I also noticed that some of you have been struggling to see the scriptures behind me and things of like that with the ceiling size and the room size and all that. So if you do have internet, if you go to downpourlive.com forward slash so... S-O-W, you'll have all the scriptures that I'm going to talk about today. Downpourlive.com forward slash S-O-W, all the scriptures. Will be. Do you like that? Would you want us to keep doing that? If you do, email desireaday at gmail.com and he'll approve it. So <laughs> downpourlive.com forward slash S-O-W. I felt you were just looking so serious. I just had to throw something in there. Let's read Mark 11 verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Verse 20, in the morning, so scrolling down a few scriptures, verse 20, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I got to read it again. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I want to read this in the King James. I want you to pardon the ease and the thou's, but I want to hone in on one word. King, oh, King James verse 24, it says, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Let's just replace the E with the U just so that you can stay in focus. Therefore I say unto you, whatever you desire. Remember we spoke last week about this, these words, desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Want to read one more passage of scriptures? Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. Whatsoever you desire, and when desire comes, it's a tree of life. Father, we thank you for your word. 
I pray this morning that what I communicate will fall on good soil. I pray that every heart would be open, every heart would be ready, every mind would be prepared. I pray, God, that there would be complete focus. I pray, God, that there would be complete attention. I lift up Lee into your hands as she's home with three kids. I pray that you give her the peace of mind. I just pray, God, that you be with all of us, Lord, as we get into this word and that you would do only what you can do, Holy Spirit, that you would birth God dreams, God imagination, God vision. And I pray that you would be lifted up in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desired fulfill is a tree of life. We took time to unfold this whole idea last week that God is vulnerable to our desires. We spoke about that it does, it's not just any desire, it's not just any wish, it's not just any ask, but that when we get intimate with God, that God produces this desire within us. In fact, we broke down the word desire and we, we realized that in Latin it means off the Father. Come on, talk to me, Dan Paul. It means off the Father. And, and, and in other words, that imagination that comes from God, that dream that comes from God, that, that a lot of times we think God's will, God's plans, God's purposes is this finite, obscure, faraway concept idea. But we're coming to realize that God wants to breathe the Spirit over us. And, and as we find this place of intimacy, this place of worship, this place of oneness with God, that something's begin to come which is of the Father desire. That's why it says that a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, last week we looked at the words desire. This week we're going to look at the same scripture and we're going to look at the other words. A, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Have you ever noticed that the Bible is full of trees? I mean, in the garden there was a tree. I mean, everywhere, you, all, you know, Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. You know, everywhere there's a tree. There's a tree somewhere around the corner. There's a guy called Nathaniel in the Bible. The, Jesus says, I saw you standing under the fig tree. Uh, you know, it's everywhere. In fact, Hebrews talks about how uh, Jesus died on the tree, literally rhetorically talking about the cross being a tree. In the book of Revelation, there's, there are trees. The Bible's full of trees. God's got something with trees. And so I want to sort of talk about this because I begin to look at these words that a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And so I begin to paint a picture. And on this morning, I don't want to spend time talking about why did Jesus curse? I don't know if you understand this because we have this... A lot of people quote about how we can ask anything and it'll happen. A lot of people quote about how you can speak to that mountain, it'll move. But no one talks about the backstory. The backstory was Jesus cursing a fig tree. And so I don't want to talk about the spiritual applications of it or the prophetic applications of it or the theological applications of it. But I began to develop a picture that just like Jesus walked up the fig, walked right to the fig tree, I wonder if Jesus every now and then walks up to mine and your lives looking for some imagination. Just like Jesus would have walked up the fig tree expecting with great anticipation. We spoke last week about how God has made himself vulnerable to our desires. In other words, heaven is waiting for your dreams. Could it be that the, the resources of heaven is purposed, is directed in some way, in some form by your dreams? Could it be that God is fed by our dreams? Now, it's not that God needs our dreams. It's not that God needs us for him to exist. But God has allowed himself to make himself vulnerable to us. And this is, I know, a big concept. I know you would love to just come to church and hear about how big God is. But 
I want you to understand that God is big, but when he lives in you, he's called you to live big. He's called you to live large. He's called you to think big, to think wide. And I know it's small. I know the kind of preaching people love is when we talk about the magnanimous nature of God. And let me tell you, He is big. He is amazing. He is mighty. But God wants to live. And the way He lives is He lives through you and me. He lives on this planet through you and me. And I think we've got to understand that when Jesus died, he, not just, he did not just die to give us a visa to heaven. He died so that he can live within our spirits, live within us. And, and so that we can, in him we move and have our being. And so I begin to see this picture and this correlation between Jesus walking to the fig tree and Jesus walking to mine and your lives. Could it be that every now and then that God would walk to, to us with eager anticipation of seeing a dream, of seeing an imagination, of recognizing an ask that would feed his appetite. Are you with me? It's not that God needs us for his survival, but I think he needs us for his entertainment. It's not that Jesus needed the fig. It's not like Jesus needed to eat the, eat, eat the figs to live another day. It was just something he needed for his pleasure. In the same way, could it be that when God comes to our lives, there might be moments where God examines us and looks at us. A lot of times we hear preaching about how God examines the heart and it can be a convicting preaching. Oh, God examines your heart, so make sure your thoughts are right. Make sure you don't think bad. I think God examines our heart not so that he can just find out what is good, what is bad, but I think he's looking for what is a great imagination that he can bless. That, that, that God examines our lives because he's inviting us to this place called co-laboring. Maybe God is saying, what is my child imagining? What is my child dreaming? Do you know, even as a parent, what my daughter thinks matters to me. Not just in the case of parenting, but her creativity comes forth. And I want to know what matters. I want to know her expression. I want to know her reactions. I want to know her responses. It matters to me. And in the same with God, he is drawn to our imagination. In fact, I was thinking about this. If, he did not, if God has not invited us to co-labor, we do not need a Bible. If God just wanted you to be, he could just give you a list of commandments. But the reason why I even believe God's given a scripture is because I believe when you open up the word, God says, I want to see what happens to my child's imagination when they read that scripture. I want to see if they are full of hope, if they're full of excitement, if they're full of joy, if they're full of enthusiasm, if they're full of faith. God watches our souls as our spirits read the word. And you got to understand scripture is not a book of laws. Yes, there are commandments in it, but it's an invitation to a bigger life. It's an invitation for faith to arise. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word. The purpose of the word is for your faith to arise. I think so many times we put the word up there and we should by all means. But the word is not the ends to a mean. It's the beginning point for your faith and your imagination to arise so that God can do something so incredible through your lives. I believe one of the main purposes that scripture exists is because God has called us to co-labor. He's given us scriptures that confuse us. Like he doesn't, he doesn't tell us things. Like, I would understand if scripture says pray for the sick. It doesn't say pray for the sick. It says heal the sick. It does not say pray for the dead. It says raise the dead. It does not say pray for people that are 
oppressed with demons. It says cast out demons. And he doesn't tell us how to do it. He, he, he puts a scripture so confounding, so big, so unbelievable that, we, that it would be easier for us to put it on an Instagram post but not allow it to absorb our imagination. But it's when that scripture gets a hold of your imagination, all of a sudden you start seeing sick people coming out of wheelchairs in your mind before you ever see it with your eyes. Wow. And so God is calling us to a place of co-laboring. I honestly believe God looks with eager expectation each time I open my Bible to see the way I react. You know those moments where you read and you're like, wow, I never saw that there. I never read that before. And it's like God is excited. It's like, it's like the first time your kids ever had an ice cream. It's like you wait. You know how good the ice cream is. It does not excite you anymore. But what excites you is their excitement to the ice cream. In the same way God knows his word. He is his word. But when you experience his word, it's your excitement towards that word that invites you to a deeper place. Are you with me? This is why Jesus goes to his disciples and he says things like, Who do, you, who do people say I am? It's, this is why Jesus goes to his disciple and says, who do you say I am? It's not because Jesus was having insecurity issues. <laughs> it was not because Jesus was checking how many followers he had. He's God. He knows who he is. He had a long time in heaven to figure out who he was before he came on planet earth. But who you think he is, who, what you think about a situation that God presents before you actually matters to God. Your perspective about a situation, when you're in the middle of a problem, can I propose to you that your problem is not as big to God? It's your perspective of that problem that actually matters to God. Because your, your perspective is a demonstration of your inner imagination. Within that lies your realm of faith. And so you've got to understand this, this thing of co-laboring is a, is a tension. It's, it's almost rebellious to this faraway relationship that some of us Try to maintain with God. Well, I'm a good person. I go to church. I sing a few songs. I pay my tithe. Well, let me tell you, thank you for that. But God wants more from you. Oh, I put it this way. God has more for you. A lot of times we talk like robots when God's calling for human beings to rise up. I do this and I do that and I do this and God's like, no, no, I'm looking for some co-laborers. I'm looking for someone that will recognize who, who do you say that I am? For some reason, God wants to know what we think about a matter because we're the only ones qualified to bring God's plan into fullness. In Matthew 6, God teaches his disciples to pray. Matthew 6, I think it's going to come up on the screen. Verse 9, it says, then pray, and this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to talk about these words, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it would be easy for Jesus to just give us a prayer. of Our Father, your, hallowed be your name. You're amazing. Forgive me. I just want to live by the rules. Forgive my sins as I forgive others. Yours is the king. But, but there's a moment where he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Do you know how that's going to happen? That's not going to happen by God allowing it to happen. That happens by you and I making it happen. It, it happens by us allowing the lens of our imagination to know that his kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So let's talk about that. What is the will of God when it comes to cancer? Is there cancer in heaven? There is no cancer in heaven. And so when we see, when we are in a situation where someone's going through that, as sad as that is and as painful as that is and as tragic as that is, we've got to look at it through the lens of new imagination. Where your kingdom come, your will be done. What's the will of God in this matter? Well, in heaven, there is no cancer. So I got to lay my hands and live with this tension that I'm anointed by heaven. I'm called by God to pray for people, to see breakthrough happen, to see miracle signs and wonders unfold. God's inviting you to a deeper place of imagination. Let your imagination be filtered through this lens on earth as it is heaven. We have been mandated to bring heaven to earth. A lot of times we just see heaven as heaven and earth as earth. And now heaven will always have its own mechanisms, its own makeup, its own uniqueness, its own. I'm not saying that our assignment is to just make this heaven and live here on in heaven, that's not what I'm saying. But there's a facet in God where he's inviting us to a deeper place. I'm not sure if this is working. Okay, let's work it this way. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. The word tree of life only appears in three places in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, God puts a tree of life. In the book of Revelation, there is a tree of life. The only other book that has the words tree of life is the book of Proverbs. Genesis tells us what was. Revelation tells us what is. Proverbs tells us what's possible. Proverbs tells us that we have access to on earth as it is in heaven. We have access to your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we might not see it in all its glory, but we have facets of it that we can access to. We have facets of, of, of the nature of God. We have facets of healing. We have facets of breakthrough. We have facets of the things of God. There's an imagination that's not of earth. There's an imagination that's of heaven that we are, we are called to bring forth onto this planet. We've been assigned by God. God did not just save you and me for our enjoyment. He saved us for our employment. There's an assignment that, is, that, that needs to birth within us, a tree of life. This is, this is, we see this throughout in Scripture. God goes to Abraham. says, Abraham, there's a city that's it's just really naughty. It's just really crazy. Getting a bit obscure. They, they, over the rails. Oh, what's the city, God? Sodom. I, I want to just, I think I'm going to get rid of that city. And Abraham's like, God, what if there's 50 people? What if there's 40 people? What if there's 20 people? Can you think about that? Abraham's relationship to negotiate with God, that's called intercession. That, that deep place where you can, God, like what Abraham thought mattered to God. Like, are you, is, this, is this hitting you like it's hitting me? It, it mattered to God what, God what Abraham thought about what God was about to do. We see this with David where there's different ways of worshiping and you're not supposed to go here and you're not supposed to go there. And, and David just breaks all the rules and God says, there's a man that's after my own heart. There's this, there's this thing we, we have, we've got, we've got people in, in, in scriptures that would break the rules, that would bend the rules of what was, what was comfortable, what was the norm of the time because there was something in them that said, 
maybe I can have access to that tree of life. Maybe I can have access to that heavenly realm. It's not my time yet. If you look at David, David did not live like an Old Testament Christian, like an Old Testament follower of God. David lived like a New Testament believer. The way he worshipped, the way he went after, there was something in his heart, there was something in his imagination that sort of bent the rules, that broke the rules. I preached about this a while back. The centurion goes to Jesus and says, I need, you to, I need you to heal my servant. And Jesus says, I'm on my way. And the centurion breaks the norm. He breaks the laws of nature. He breaks the laws of ministry. And he says, uh, you actually don't need to come. You just speak that word because your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I understand, Jesus, you're from heaven. And the moment you open up your mouth and speak, a portal opens up in my home of a heavenly realm. And my servant must be healed. There was something in him. I'm not sure how that happened, but there was something in his imagination that broke ground. That's what I'm talking about. There's, there's this place in God. And, and I've realized, I spoke this earlier, but I'll say this again. I, I know that God's called us to co-labor. Because if, if, if our opinions, if our mindsets, if our personalities do not matter, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would read the same. They're the same stories of the same person. But yet each of the gospels different. I love what the Bible says. The gospel according the gospel according if, if it was all God it would just be the gospel but your your experiences your personalities your uniqueness your gift gifting all of that matters to God and somehow God has his way of intermingling not just your strengths but also your weaknesses not just your abilities but also your insecurities and somehow punch out a book punch out a gospel that'll inspire Lives forever and ever. That's what God does when you surrender your imagination to Him. By the way, if you are taking notes, the title of my sermon is, If Figs Could Talk. <laughs> we'll get to it, what I mean by that. If Figs Could Talk. And, and this thing called what, you might be, you're like, yeah, but just tell me what God wants me to do. And I understand that. But the reason why, what you think about something matters so much to God is because your faith is, in, is informed by what you know. Your faith is informed. Now, I know I'm, I'm probably preaching like three sermons in one, but Easter's next week and I, I need to land this thing. Maybe you might write a book on imagination. You tell me. But there's this, this thing called faith is grounded, is limited by what you know. It's like you can meet two people that believe in Jesus and yet live two different lives. They have access to the same thing. They have access to the same God. They have access to the same promises. But yet one lives so defeated, the other lives so victorious. Both have a faith. And both their faith is limited by what they know. And that's why what you know matters to God. This is why Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? What do you say about the situation? What's your perspective? No, I want to heal that and I want to deliver that. And I want to, a lot of times we spend so much energy talking about what God can do, but not thinking about what we actually believe about that situation. What do you know? What do you believe? What, what, is, what are your bearings? Uh, uh, you know, okay, I, I'm trying to put examples here to explain this. It's like this when it comes to healing. I don't even know what people believe nowadays about healing. But I want you to know that God's plan is for everyone to be healed. That's God's plan. 
I'm feeling a bit nervous that only three people said, yeah, but maybe you're just taking it down. And so the problem is now, if you, if you study scripture, if you look at the life of Jesus, every healing, there was never a moment where Jesus said, well, now is not, not your time. Well, well this, this, this healing's there. This sickness is there because you were a bad boy when you were small. Never. It's like every person that came to Jesus was healed. Now, a lot of times what happens is when, you, when people have a health situation, because there isn't, for whatever reason, there's not a healing, and that happens at times, we then build a theology around it. And, and so then we have theologies that say, God, allow, God, God made this happen to make me a better person. Now, one of the results is God, you can become a better person, and it, it draws you into God and stuff, but that is not God's perfect will. Are you with me? We got to allow this tension to creep in if you want to eat of the tree of life. Are you with me? So, so, so what happens is we build. And, and, so, and so then when, when an opportunity comes before us, we've got hurdles of, of, of mindsets and hurdles of stories and hurdles of experiences and hurdles of books that we read. And all of a sudden it messes up our imagination. It messes up what you want to step into. And it becomes another hurdle that comes in the way of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because your imagination matters to God. You're like, why can't God override that? No, because your imagination is such a big deal to God. And so now we've got all these hurdles and the only way you can push past that is when you have the right emotions, is when you feel it's the right season. See, I'll tell you what, what convinced me to preach from this text, Mark 11. It's a funny one, but I want to read this one more time. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if he had any fruit. But when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Now, this is the part that got me. Because it was not the season for figs. How many of you think that was a bit unfair? It was not the season for figs. Hand me, hand me those figs. It was, not, it was not the season. It was not the season for figs. So what's up with God who created seasons, who created daytime and nighttime, who created seed time and harvest time to rock up to a tree out of season expecting a fruit? And I hear so many people tell me, I just don't feel like it and... It's not my season. It's this, is that. No, no, if you're hearing this message and you're saying, Pastor Alvin is preaching about this because uh, he wants someone to do more, you've got this message wrong. I'm triggering your imagination to know that even when you're out of season, you can still be in season. Even when you're not there, you can still be there in here. Even when it's not there on the exterior, your interior does not, is not affected by what's on the outside. I'm not, this is not, a, this is not a message that says you've got to do more. You've got to be rostered more. You've got to, this is not one, this is not that. This is, I'm dealing with something on the inside. It's those imaginations that have limited our thing where we go, oh, it's not, it's just not my season. It may not be your season, but what I love is when you, when you are a follower of Jesus, you have a grace, you have a gifting, you have an anointing to tap into a season that is not even technically yours. And I wonder if Jesus was preaching a sermon in this where he was going to the fig tree so out of character, so out of season, Jesus, expecting something to spring forth. 
Because the Bible says, when the Son of Man shall return, will he find faith? When the Son of Man comes up to my tree, will he find some fruit? When the Son of Man comes by me, even though my life might be not that great, is there an inch of hope? Is there an inch of expectation? Is there an inch of imagination to believe that something can come forth? Now, you got to understand, I'm not the one that produces the fruit. He is the source of my fruit. But as as long as I stick by him, he will change the way I think about things. And so you've got, you've got this tension in, in Scripture. And you've got to understand, this is not a message that's trying to trigger you to, oh, oh that, health, that health situation. I need to put a disclaimer here because I've spoken about health a lot. That health, health situation is your fault. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the ability for you and I to live between the tension of heaven and earth. And if heaven and earth were to have a fight, heaven should always win. That if, even if I'm not healed heaven will win. Even if I'm not healed, my imagination says I win. Even if, even if it's not here yet, I believe with eager expectation that it can happen anytime. Every day I wake up with the anticipation that good things are coming my way. Not because of what I've done, or not because of who I am, but because the God that I call upon is great and mighty to save. If you believe that, why don't you give God a shout of praise for a minute? An eager expectation. I believe Jesus is preaching a sermon. I don't even know if he was looking for figs. I wonder if he was was trying to portray a parable in story form. And he was preaching to you and me. He was saying that even out of season, is there faith? Is there potential? Is there a joy? Is there an imagination? Is there a hope that lies within us, that breathes within us, that is willing to produce even out of season? I'm not, this is not one of those where you got to go and, well, I've just got to up my game and I just have to study the scriptures more and I just need to, I just need to be rostered a bit more frequently. If that's what you got out of this message, I've done a disservice. This, this is not talking about your physical limitations. This is talking about your internal convictions. The greatest thing you can bring to the table is your perspective. Abraham, what do you think? David, what do you think? The story in the Bible where they run out of food and Jesus, who could serve all food, turns to his disciples and says, you feed him. And they bring five loaves and two fish. And maybe what you have before you is something that requires 5,000. But if you have an imagination worth five loaves and two fish, That's all God needs. When he comes to your bedside, when he comes to your house, when he comes before you in worship, when you're in that place, it's not how big of what you've got. It's that small that you're able to contain and hold on to, knowing that one day, at some point, in some way, that you will be able to eat of the tree of life. It's that tension that we've got to somehow live with and understand. And it's not even understanding. I think it's beyond that. It's something that we've got to worship through when we don't understand. It's not something that we need to necessarily comprehend. It's something that you're able to see. You know, I live with the fear that when I go to heaven, that as I go to my bed, there will be beds in heaven. And as I'm about to get up, my, 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 my feet will hit, hit a basket beneath my bed. And I pull out a basket full of figs of imaginations God was calling me to dream. 
that I never tapped into, that I never ate on, that I never birthed, that I never brought forth because of my unbelief. If figs could talk, that's what it would say. Regardless of the season, regardless of the circumstances, regardless if you've not been watered, regardless if you've been overwatered, regardless of whatever, something within us that believes that we're connected to something not temporal, but something eternal. Not something human, but something divine. I read a story the other day about a preacher that was praying for a lady. She was blind and she had many people pray for her and she was just like, I'm done anybody praying for me. I'm done with anyone praying for me. And then this preacher does this thing where he calls and he prays for her. And then he says, can you see? And she opens up her eyes. He says, no, 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 close your eyes. And then he says again, can you see? And she opens up her eyes. Can, no, he says, no, close your eyes. Can you see? And she's like, how about, how can I see if you're telling me to close my eyes? He says, no, before you ever see on the outside, I need you to be able to see on the inside. I need you to be able to see that you can see before you ever see. That's what I'm talking about. That imagination, that, that, that imagination that holds on to some, some substance, even when, you're, when it's unseen. Faith is the substance of things hopeful. The evidence of things not seen. That place in God where it's not here, but I know at any moment. It's not here, but in my dreams, I've walked down that road a thousand times. Before, before I ever prayed for someone to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you know, one of, one of the graces that's on our life is to see bapti people baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'd seen it a thousand times in my mind. I'd seen it a thousand times in my mind. I'd seen it. And I'd imagined it. There was this hope. There was this imagination. There was this vision. And that's what I'm talking about. And I'm praying that whatever you're believing for, whatever you've stopped believing for, whatever you've lost hope in, that something would nurture inside of you. Even as I'm preaching this message, that would go, I'm going to let that breathe again. I'm going to let that inhale heaven a bit more. I'm going to allow that to breathe in the Spirit of God. Maybe you're like, so what is this tree of life? Like, I'm convinced I'm convinced, Pastor, tell me about this tree of life. Maybe it's not what, but rather who. And Jesus answers that in John 14. Check out what it says, John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, that tree of life that I've been talking about is not a way of life. It's not necessarily even a way of thinking. Yes, th there is a part of that, but really it's who you follow. Are you connected to Jesus? Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is that source of life. And he follows this up in John 15. And he says these words, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If I can get the worship team, that'd be amazing. Abide in me. And I in you. Really, in, in many ways, this is the same sermon from last week. Last week was delight. This week was abide. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear. God, I've been trying. I've been trying to bring forth figs. I've been trying to bring forth this thing. What is, in fact, this is a good question to ask. What is one thing in your life that looks like this fig tree? Is it your marriage? Is it your finances? Or is it your relationship with God? But I've been trying, friend, the secret is to abide. 
abide in me. Do you notice even in this scripture, it's co-laboring? It's not abide in me and you die. Abide in me and you stop thinking. Abide in me and lose your brains. That's what we would love. We hate that preaching, but we live that preaching. John the Baptist said, more of me, more of him, rather, and less of me. We sing songs of that nature. Do you know once you find in once you found in Christ, that doesn't work? It's more of him in me. It's more of him through me. God does not just want you to die. He wants you to be resurrected. Abide in me and I in you. It's co-laboring. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What is the purpose of abiding? Is the purpose of abiding control? Is the purpose of abiding obey? Is the purpose of abide, abiding you die? Check out what it says because in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, there we go, you will ask, what is it? What? you desire and it will be done for you. When you abide in me, the reason why you and I need to be abided in Christ is not because He wants us to die, it's because He wants us to really live. I do not know if the media team can do this, but if you can pull up Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, or Colossians 3, 2 and 3. I got this on my way here. Maybe it's going to come on the screen. Maybe it's not, but let's, let's hope it does. Let's hope it does. Check out what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Things about imagination, thinking. For you died to this life. Now check it out. And your real life. It's hidden with Christ and God. Your real life, your real life, the real you, the real Alwyn, the real desire, the real Abby, the real Gavin, the real you. God is not just looking for a dead you. He's looking for the real you, but the real you is hidden in Christ. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. always try not to shed too many scriptures or stories in the Bible but I'm just going to do it because I'm always aware of the fact that there are people that do not know these stories and I always want to be inclusive of people that do not know the Bible much but I'm just going to use this story in anyways. Genesis we read about this guy called Joseph. Joseph was in a family of 12 11 rather 12 in total, 11 siblings and we know the story how Joseph has these dreams these dreams, these dreams, these dreams, these dreams. And then his dreams get him in trouble, don't they? He gets sold as a slave. Finally, things take an incredible turn. I mean, not, not, not there, but gets accused of stuff. Then gets thrown in prison. Then comes out from the other end as the prime minister of Egypt. And then I had this thought. Why did only Joseph dream? What in the other brother's dream? See, the reason why we have tall poppy syndrome is because we don't have a dream of our own. Do you know your God is big enough 
for each of you to have a dream? Do you know heaven is wealthy enough to fund all of your dreams? Do you know why the other brothers did not have any dreams? It's because they were fixated with Joseph's dream. That's one. But you know what else the Bible says? And Jacob loved Joseph more. Intimacy is the breeding ground of dreams. But we don't have, we don't have a human father. We have a heavenly father who loves us equally and uniquely. And he loves you more. And he loves me more. And because he loves us, not like the love of Jacob, but like the love of God. It's a breeding ground for dreams. It's a breeding ground for imagination. It's a breeding ground for visions. The natural progression of intimacy is not babies. It's dreams. Babies are just byproducts and things that keep us grounded. <laughs> that pay us back 30 years in advance with grandkids. If you are not dreaming, it's not anybody else's fault. Get back to the Father. The natural progression of a person intimate with God is dreams. For on the last days I shall pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see dreams. Your old men shall see visions. Your young men shall see dreams. Your old men shall be shall see shall see dreaming, shall see visions. Your young women shall have dreams. Gotta be all inclusive. The mature mothers <laughs> shall have visions. When the spirit of God comes into a place, when the spirit of intimacy, when that spirit of oneness, the spirit of knowing that He, that I delight in Him, that I abide in Him, that He's all that I need. The natural cause, cause, what it causes is dreams. It's imagination. Let's get before God. Let's say, God, I've lost my dream. But now that indicates that I need to get before you once more. I need to get before God. I need to get before the Father. Because every desire is of the Father. <laughs>